You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked on Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster as well as a baseball and longtime Marlins writer. And in this episode, we've got some fun stuff to talk about because the Marlins finally go out and make an offensive signing. They go get Adam Duvall, who was with the Braves last year, had a very good season from a power standpoint and now there's going to be a little bit of a fallout potentially here as we've heard some rumors from Craig Mish that teams are now inquiring on Garrett Cooper while the the language is important there though is I think people are taking that as Garrett Cooper on the trading block while this addition does make it a little bit crowded in the corner spot there on the right side when we're talking about first base and right field because you got Aguilar and Cooper now splitting time at first presumably and then Duvall now in right who will be manning right field a majority of the time since Cooper is not the greatest out there I don't think he's as bad as some make him out to be but he's not great out there and Duvall is a plus defender so now the Marlins have a decision to make and they're gonna get calls on somebody like Garrett Cooper because Cooper is cheap He has shown that he can mash baseballs when he's healthy. The question is, can he stay healthy? But most of the teams that are inquiring on Cooper want to use him in a limited or platoon type of role where he would do a lot of damage and really help a contending team that just needs one little piece to help bolster their offense and give them some depth. So it'll be interesting to see how that whole story develops on that front. I'm going to talk a little bit about who do you trade there if you have to trade one, Cooper versus Aguilar, and the juggle between the two decisions because it is interesting financially and potentially return-wise. But first, I wanted to start with the positive, the addition, which is Adam Duvall. And while Duvall was not at the top of my list personally, I think I talked about it a little bit in the past as somebody to add to the outfield or to the Marlins lineup. The more I look at the power numbers, you can see a very high ceiling option here for the Marlins, whereas some of the other options, you probably knew more so what you were getting. I mean, what Duvall did last year was as good as anybody from a power output standpoint. I mean, only two hitters in the National League had more home runs than Duvall in last year's abbreviated season. It was Marcelo Ozuna, his teammate, and Fernando Tatis Jr. Ozuna had 18, Tatis Jr. had 17, and Duvall had 16. So the power output big time there in those 57 games, and it was similar in 2019. He only played 41 ball games because the Braves had him in AAA where he hit 32 home runs in 101 ball games before getting moved up for 41 games, where in the big leagues in that 2019 season, he hits 10 more home runs in 41 games. So combined that year between AAA and the majors, he hits 42. And when you look at what he was on pace for in 2020, while I know that's a difficult game to play because most guys will cool off a little bit in the second half if they get off to a torrid start, but the numbers match up. He was on pace for 42 to 43 home runs as well, 16 homers in 57 games. So it is interesting that he was able to somewhat replicate that trajectory and that projection of home runs in 2020 because you could easily say, oh yeah, he did hit 
42 combined home runs in 2019, but 32 of them came from AAA. So when we look at 2020, and he hit 16 in those 57 games, that was on the same track as a 42 home run output. So there's some reason for optimism. Some of my concerns around Duvall I don't think are going to be unique from anybody else's concerns. It's that, will he be able to hit enough? to truly be an everyday player. And look, if he's hitting as many home runs as he did last year, then I don't care about the 301 on base percentage because the Marlins desperately needed that impact bat in the middle of their order outside of Corey Dickerson and Brian Anderson. There's not really anybody else in the lineup where you could say that guy has a shot at hitting 30. And I think it's even a stretch to say Anderson will hit 30 or Dickerson at this point. I think both of them can, but it's more likely that they don't than they do. Duvall, it's very feasible that he hits 30. I mean, he's been on track for way more than that the last couple years. He was more than halfway there in one third of the season last year, and he's put up more than 30 home runs on multiple occasions back-to-back years with the Reds. He hit 33, then 31, and also had 202 runs driven in in those two seasons. So for Duvall, it's going to be, can he hit consistently enough? He doesn't walk a ton, though. The walk rate did improve to the highest rate of his career last year. The defense, like I said, is a lot better. He's surprisingly fast, 78th percentile in sprint speed, though he is 32 years old going on 33. I'm sure he'll slow down a little bit, but he takes good routes to the ball. He's a good defender in a very cavernous Marlins outfield. And now with that outfield having... Starling Marte in center field, we know how he's able to track down balls. He's won a gold glove. Dickerson is an anonymous, strange gold glove winner. I'm not huge on his defense, but he has shown flashes of being a good defender. But then having Duvall and Wright takes a lot of pressure off of that and makes the defensive outfield a lot better than it would have been if you had Cooper out there no matter how you feel about Cooper's defense being close to average or well below average. I think it's somewhere between the two. So for the Marlins, it's a good acquisition. But what they do next kind of defines it even more. Because if you are saying, you know, Duvall gives us a better chance to win this year, which I think he can. He definitely can because there's a lot of purposes that he serves. He gives the Marlins some protection in the middle of the order. Brian Anderson seemed like he was struggling at times expanding the strike zone seemed like he was giving in to pitchers getting a little bit over aggressive and now with that protection maybe guys aren't going to put on Brian Anderson to pitch to an Adam Duvall who if you're ahead two runs you're not going to put Brian Anderson on to pitch to Adam Duvall representing the tying run late in the game you're not going to do that you're going to go after Anderson so I think it's going to be an opportunity for BA to get more pitches to hit and to probably for the first time, really have that protection behind him. The other thing that I like is it makes it easier to put Starling Marte in that leadoff role where he has had a majority of his starts in his major league career, or a majority of his plate appearances at least, in the leadoff spot, where in today's game, Marte is that type of leadoff hitter. We're seeing so many leadoff hitters that are less get on base and more do some damage and have some speed and get on base a little bit too. Marte would pack a punch at the top of the order. The Marlins have really lacked a true leadoff hitter the last few seasons and it's kind of just been next man up, try whoever you can there. And I think now Marte having some continuity with a guy that has some comfort in that spot, it will definitely help as well. So you have more solidified roles in this lineup too, but going back to what I was teasing earlier is what do the Marlins do next in terms of do they move 
one of Aguilar or Cooper? And if so, who do you move? Right now, we're only hearing rumors about Cooper, but that's obviously going to be the guy that teams call on more. It doesn't mean the Marlins can't potentially swing a trade for Aguilar if they wanted to try and force it. They wouldn't get much for him, if anything at all, but if they could dump the salary, that's where the decision is to be made because Cooper is making 1.8 this coming season with three years of control. Aguilar is due to make 4.35 this coming season after the Marlins picked up his option and comes with control beyond this season as well. So I'm going to talk about that situation in just a moment and potentially if the Marlins could parlay that into adding another bullpen arm either way, no matter who they trade, how that could potentially happen in just a moment. But a reminder that this episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. 18 delicious flavors. They all taste like a dessert. They're easy to chew, covered in chocolate, and great for a keto diet because they're low in sugar, low in carbs, low in fat, high in protein. What else could you possibly want from a protein bar? You can't go wrong with any of the flavors. My current favorite right now is either chocolate brownie or peanut butter. That's just what I've been eating right now, but cookies and cream is up there as well. So definitely go check out Built Bar. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Also brought to you by our friends at rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more for the same auto parts from a car dealership or a chain store when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy to navigate website to find whatever car part you need for any make or model. The chain stores and the dealerships, they're not looking out for you. rockauto.com is because they are a family owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years years. It's so easy. You just go straight to the website, find what you need, order it. They ship it straight to your door. Save so much of a headache, saves the money. It's a no brainer. If you go to rockauto.com, let them know that Locked On sent you in the how did you hear about us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. So let's get into this interesting situation that the Marlins are now in where they need to decide, or potentially not, they could roll with two first basemen, but I can't imagine that Garrett Cooper would be thrilled with that, especially with how he performed last year. And knowing that teams are interested, I would assume that he would want to go somewhere else where he could get more playing time, though. If he does get traded to the Dodgers or the Padres or some of those other teams that may be interested, will the playing time really be that much more consistent? That's where the question lies. But that being said, Where do the Marlins go from here? I think there's nothing wrong with exploring the trade market for Garrett Cooper. You never know what the return could potentially be. I mean, Craig Mish said himself, there's no shortage of teams inquiring on Garrett Cooper. So that being said, you might be able to get a surprise return that you weren't expecting. I've seen some on Twitter float some very lofty goals in terms of prospect return, maybe from the Dodgers or the Padres. I even half-heartedly suggested Diego Cartaya, who realistically the Dodgers would never give up for Garrett Cooper. In my opinion, I think Cartaya is going to be a consensus top 100 prospect after this year, but the Marlins could still get something decent. And when we look at the Dodgers system, let's say the Dodgers offer Jacob Amaya, who's on the fringe of their top 10, but a very solid hitting infield prospect. And the Marlins could use some more infield depth and some more just steady bats that could climb through the system. 
that's a guy that kind of fits the timeline if they do have some struggles at second base or whatever the situation is then maybe you consider that but is it really worth getting rid of one of your best offensive players for a prospect that's kind of just in the middle of the road high higher floor and not a crazy lofty ceiling that could give you some insurance up the middle in the future or you could trade Jesus Aguilar who is due nearly double the salary that Garrett Cooper is owed this upcoming season at 4.35 million and even if you dump Aguilar for essentially nothing then at that point you now have opened up 4.35 million dollars for your ball club you keep Cooper you stick him at first now let's assume it's just the difference so you have 1.5 million extra to spend the Marlins wouldn't go over two million dollars on Brandon Kinsler let's say now with that 1.5 that they just gained in difference from Aguilar to Cooper otherwise I would just say it's 4.35 but if we're assuming that they're going to trade one of those guys let's call it a 1.5 million dollar difference that 3.5 million as opposed to two to potentially be able to spend makes a big difference in terms of what your potential options could be reliever wise so you can almost view it as trading Aguilar for a solid reliever would you rather do that or would you rather trade Cooper for a decent prospect I'd say it's realistic to hope for an 8 to 10 range prospect on the high end for the Marlins from a good system like the Dodgers maybe you can get them to kick in some cash as well which could help the Marlins out right now quite obviously if that GoFundMe situation which is just kind of unfolding as I'm recording right now I just saw David Sampson tweet something out about the Marlins staff potentially making a GoFundMe to raise money for other staff members that may get laid off I mean look every franchise is dealing with layoffs right now and not even in just baseball not even in just sports everybody's dealing with layoffs but not a great look and I'm sure the Marlins cracked down on that one pretty quickly but again it just doesn't come at a great time when the Marlins are somewhat under a microscope here right now as fans want them to spend a little bit more but I think people have to really realize myself included we have to really take a step back here and realize how crappy this situation is for the Marlins ownership at this point it it could not have happened at a worse time this COVID situation for this organization so now when we're looking at how much every dollar matters here it makes sense for the Marlins to trade one of these two guys just because you don't need a 1.8 million dollar bench player right now and you definitely don't need a 4.35 million dollar bench player with no designated hitter but in a normal world where the Marlins could afford to have a more expensive option on the bench I don't mind it because you look at Aguilar he's not somebody that I think you start every single day at first base so you get Cooper some at-bats there I don't think that Duvall is a guy that you play every single day in right field either especially as he gets hot and cold he's a very streaky hitter he gets some starts in right field I think Dickerson isn't somebody that you start against really tough lefties so Cooper would get some at-bats out there as well so there would be at least an avenue for Cooper to get a couple hundred at-bats for the Marlins no problem the thing is is Cooper's probably a better offensive player at this point than Aguilar is and probably if he continues on the track he was last year that he was on last year he's probably a better offensive player than Corey Dickerson as well but Dickerson's contract at this point is immovable you're not going to trade and sell low on him after the worst year of his career I do think he's going to bounce back but what if you hold on to Cooper for the time being then potentially deal Dickerson at some point at the middle of the season which would in turn actually save you more money 
than dealing Cooper Wood at the beginning of the season due to how much Dickerson is due this coming year. If you were to part with Dickerson, then you could move Duvall to left and Cooper back to right field and we're back to square one where the Marlins just don't like Cooper in right field. And I think that's where it all boils down to is this organization has always had a somewhat strange relationship with Garrett Cooper. I know he's had his inconsistencies in terms of staying healthy, but even when I always go back to what Don Mattingly said about we just don't know if he's an everyday player. I highly doubt that that's something that Mattingly just came up with himself and was feeling himself. That's a conversation that I would assume he had had with front office guys, that he had had with potentially you know Gary Dembo, Derek Jeter, whoever it may be, or Mike Hill at the time. And that was something that he realized I maybe shouldn't have said, but was a conversation that he probably had a few times prior. When I think about that and the Marlins' general reluctance to commit to Cooper, which I understand because of the fact that he is just unable to stay healthy, especially when he's playing out in the field consistently, maybe it does make sense for this team to eventually just cash in on him now. His value will probably never be higher after what he did last year, after what he showed in the playoffs. And with his controllability and the fact that he is cheap in this market where nobody wants to spend money, that could be the avenue where the Marlins ultimately end up being able to get a little bit more prospect-wise. Maybe a team is willing to give up a little bit higher quality of a prospect to save that money and get an impact bat because the reality is you are not getting a Garrett Cooper caliber hitter right now for $1.8 million. You're just not going to be able to find that. What it truly boils down to, though, for me is that the Dickerson situation where you're able to maybe find a suitor for him midseason, that's a pipe dream because there's no way the Marlins are going to hold on to Aguilar and Cooper until they just wait to trade Dickerson. That's a dream scenario. But the real scenario, if I'm in charge here and what I'm probably doing, I'm listening to offers on Cooper just to see if anyone blows me away with how weird baseball's been this year. And maybe you do get a crazy offer you can't refuse. If you don't, I'd probably just try to move Aguilar. At this point, you don't get much back, whatever. You clear the $4.35 million. You now have Cooper, who I think is a better hitter, as I said, at first base. You can give him spot days off with Lewin Diaz, who I think is going to start in AAA, but let's say he hits well for a couple months. You can have Lewin Diaz up as an impact left-handed power bat off the bench who can give you spot starts and can give you days off for Garrett Cooper at first base. Of course, I still want to see Luan Diaz get his at-bats in the minor leagues, but if it seems like Cooper needs added days off, Luan Diaz may just be racking up frequent flyer miles from Jacksonville to South Florida, but at the same time, it's not like playing first base is that exhausting. I'd expect Garrett Cooper to be able to rack up 140 games at first base. You trade Aguilar, you clear that 4.35, which would be the $1.5 million difference, and you put that towards a veteran reliever, and all of a sudden you now have a pretty complete ball club, subjectively speaking here. You have Duvall now in the outfield. You have a clear-cut leadoff hitter that it allows you to put Starling Marte at first. The lineup is more steady and consistent. You hope one of the second basemen step up. You're able to allocate that $1.5 million to a decent arm. Even if it's Sergio Romo at this point, I would take it. Just somebody with closer experience. So if Anthony Bass falters, you can have somebody else step in there and close ball games. Because if Bass falters, I do think Bass is solid. But if he does falter, then it's going to be just like, who's going to step up and close ball games? I don't like that situation. I think that you need to have, even if it's somebody that's no longer a closer, somebody that has saves under their belt that can step in if the Marlins ultimately have to go closer by committee. So clearing up that money 
would make it happen. There's no reason to invest 15% of your payroll into the first base position, which is what it would be if they hypothetically held on to Aguilar and Garrett Cooper. But even if things roll forward with this exact roster breakdown, Aguilar is almost accounting for 10% of this team's payroll, which in itself is already quite a bit. I think once you start to filter in all of the minimum salaries, it'll cut the percentage down as you look at sport track, but it'll be closer to like six or 7% of the team's salary just with Aguilar at first base. Then you'd just be better off going with Cooper, who's already better offensively, in my opinion, and has the versatility to stick him in right field if you need to for whatever reason. As we know, crazy things happen during the season. Regardless, Good pickup by the Marlins to get Duvall, a big addition defensively to the outfield and a big addition power-wise to the lineup. I, of course, will be keeping tabs on all the latest with the Marlins. And thank you to those that have taken the time to send questions over to my inbox, whether it's my personal Twitter DM at RMLayton8 or at LockedOnMarlins. I always enjoy answering your questions, and it's nice to be able to engage with some of the people that listen. Some of the really kind notes that some of you have sent have been very humbling and, and really nice and just keeps inspiring me to, to keep doing this. So thank you as always. And I look forward to continuing to talk Marlins. This team is starting to be more complete. I hope you enjoyed last episode as well, which was more positive and a more optimistic view on things. I did have to vent some things out in the two episodes ago where it just had been frustrating that the Marlins had not put the money together. But now I think the gravity of the financial situation across baseball now is making a lot of sense. And it's not Marlins unique. I mean, the Orioles were asking players to defer their arbitration salaries of like two, three million dollars. So it's not unique to the fish. And look, it's just part of what we have to deal with right now with the fact that this team and baseball is just going through a lot. Hopefully we'll be able to have some fans in the ballpark, get some revenue going, get some just excitement around this team again. Because like I said in the last episode, really, really exciting young pitching staff. The bullpen, you know what? That's going to be a headache, but it's nothing that the Marlins fans and Marlins aren't used to. And if you don't think the Marlins offense is going to be better this coming season, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. So there's plenty to look forward to. Thank you for listening. Look forward to talking Marlins baseball and potentially some Marlins transactions. It's kind of Mish alert time on Twitter. Look forward to following up with you all in the next episode this week.